Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. So this morning we're continuing in part two of our vision series, and in the context of this series, uh, we're talking about vision this way. Vision as the ability uh, to see what God is wanting to do in our lives and through our lives. Vision is the ability to see what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives. God has a plan and a purpose for every human life. Every human life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've experienced. It doesn't matter what family you were born to. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. The Bible is full of examples where people have made poor choices. Because we can look at this, how can God have a plan for my life if I made all these poor choices? But the Bible is full of examples. People making poor choices or found themselves in circumstances beyond their control. We've all been in those places where life has just happened to us. Life has been tragic or life has been trying. And we thought, man, how could God use me uh, because I've went through these circumstances? Listen, even when there's circumstances beyond your control, obstacles that are presented, we still find people throughout the Word of God that discover God's plan for their life and they live it out by faith. So I make no apologies for repeating this phrase. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Not only does God have a plan and a purpose for your life, please hear this. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. So the plan you have for your life or the plan that someone else has for your life, it will fall short. It will never compare to the plan that God has for you. So this is why vision is so important. Vision is the ability to see God's plan and purpose for your life. So depending on your circumstance, though, you could hear that, and you may say this. Well, I understand that that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Because if God has such a wonderful plan for my life, then why am I not seeing that plan? Why am I not experiencing that plan? Or you might be saying this. Okay, if, this is, if God's got a plan and a purpose for my life, and this is it, no thank you. So if you can identify with either one of those questions, then we really need to address this question. Are you born again? If you want to experience God's plan and purpose for your life, you must be born again. It all starts with new birth. That's why Jesus said this to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, look at this, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. He cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's not just heaven. That is God's entire kingdom. Everything that functions within his kingdom. Everything that is about his kingdom. It all starts with new birth. You must be born again. New birth is the first step to discerning and experiencing God's plan for our lives. Here's a great example in scripture. I think one of the best examples in scripture is Paul. And Paul is a person, a lot like a person that that goes to church in our community. Paul is confident. He's confident that he's following God's plan for his life, but in reality, Paul was not pursuing God's plan for his life. Paul was pursuing his plan for his life. And years after becoming a Christian, Paul writes these words to the church of Philippi regarding his religious pedigree. Some of you all have a religious pedigree. Well, I'm third-generation Pentecostal, or I grew up in this church, or I did this, that. You have a religious pedigree. This is what Paul writes in regards to his religious pedigree. Philippians 3, 4 through 7. It says, Though 
I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else think he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law. Look at this, blameless. But what things were gained to me, look, these I have counted lost for Christ. My religious pedigree, how, my heritage, how I grew up, my family, it all means nothing now compared to Christ. Paul clearly writes these words, looking back over his life, realizing that his plans were nothing in comparison to God's plans. Paul grew up in a synagogue, which is basically the Jewish equivalent of growing up in church. Paul knew the scriptures. He knew all the beliefs. He knew all the practices. He knew how to do church. But he lacked this. He lacked, village. He, he lacked vision. No matter what his, how diligent he was towards the scriptures, he lacked vision. Why do I know he lacked vision? Because he wasn't born again. He didn't grow up born again. He became born again later in life. Prior to his conversion, Paul was opposed to Christianity. We read about this in Acts chapter 8. Paul was present. He's consenting to the death of Stephen. Stephen is the first martyr of the church. And Paul thought this. When he, when he is overseeing or he is consenting to the death of Stephen, he thinks he's doing God a favor. Here's the first Christian martyr, the first follower of Christ to be killed, murdered for their faith. Paul is there. He's consenting, and he believes he's doing God a favor by doing this. Because Paul viewed Christianity as a heresy. And if we can eradicate this heresy then we can get rid of our troubles. Prior to new birth, Paul had an authority within, the, within Judaism, and we know this because of these words. Please hear these words. Acts 8.3, For Saul, which we know later becomes Paul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Look at this, next chapter, Acts 9, 1 and 2. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that he found any who were in the way, anyone who were Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, bound to stand trial. There are many people like Paul in our community, blinded, blinded by religion, blinded by religion, blinded by the flesh. They think they're carrying out God's plan and purpose for their life, but they're not. They can't see God's plan for their lives because they're not yet born again. They've been churched, but they've not yet been born again. When Paul traveled to Damascus, he wanted to eradicate Christianity from within all the Jewish communities. And Damascus was a great place to start. It had a large Jewish community. But everything changes for Paul on that road to Damascus. And in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 9, we read about this encounter that he has. It says this in verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? So he, he trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is your plan and purpose for my life? Then he, the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Verse 8, Then Saul arose from the ground 
And when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. What happens to Paul? He has an encounter with Jesus. And he suddenly realizes this. He realizes that the people that he was persecuting, the people that he was seeking to put in jail, were the ones who were actually messengers of the truth. Now think about this. His entire life is based on his walk with God. What he believes is his walk with God. He's got a lot of religion. He has a religious heritage. He thinks he's carrying out God's plans and purposes for his life. And finally, he has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, only to learn this. The ones I've been persecuting are the ones who are preaching the truth. Can you imagine what he must have experienced in his life at that moment? The, con the conflict he may have just experienced? Again, he thought he's following God's plan, only to realize that he is actually working against God's plan. Man, deception is terrible, but the self-deception is the worst. See, it takes humility to embrace the church, truth, church. It takes humility to embrace the truth. Human beings have difficulty facing truth and accepting when they're wrong. If we ever want to discover God's plan for our life, it will require an honest and a humble heart. Paul's entire life was turned upside down because of this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. After Paul's encounter with Jesus, this takes place. In verse 10, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard for, from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has come with authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. God has a plan and a purpose for Paul. Paul was doing his own thing, going his own way. But when he encounters Jesus, God says this, I've got a plan and a purpose for his life. This man who's been murdering Christians, he's been taking them to trial. They've been thrown in, in jail to prison. I've got a plan for his life. Verse 16, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Now what happened to Paul when Ananias prayed for him? He was born again. He was born again. The Holy Spirit fell and came into his life. He's born again. His eyesight was restored, but not only was his eyesight restored, he could see God's plan for his life. He knew immediately. How do we know that? Well, just let's go down to the next couple verses. How do we know that Paul knows what God's plan is for his life? Let's just look at his actions. What do they speak? What do they say to us? In verses 20 through 22, immediately. Now, I'm going to wait and make sure this pans out. Make sure this Jesus thing is, is real. No? Immediately. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. 
Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose? That was his plan, and that was his purpose. But God's got a plan, and God's got a purpose for his life. So that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Immediately, Paul began to act upon God's plan and purpose for his life. And there are many people like, like Paul in our community. They attend churches in our community. They attend our church. Good people, what we would consider good people by world standards. We understand this by God's standards. There are no good people. We're all sinners. But by our standards, good people, they attend church. They believe in the Bible. Believe everything there is to believe. They're church, but they have not yet had a true experience with the living God. Where the Holy Spirit comes in to dwell in them and makes them a new person. Not an old person, a new person. Paul describes new birth this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Church, in light of that scripture, and just look at it for a moment, when did that happen for you? When did this take place for you? When did Jesus come into your life and make you a new creation? When did the old things pass away, and when did they start becoming new? When did this happen for you? When and where were you born again? When were you blind, but Jesus stepped in your life so you could finally see? Pastor, I've been a Christian all my life. I've grown up in church. With all due respect, you haven't. I don't care if the first day that you were born, my kids were born, and within a week they were in church. That didn't make them a Christian. With all due respect, we're all born sinners. So that statement's not true for anyone. You must be born again. So when did this happen for you? I don't know. I, I really can't say. Church, could this be the reason why we don't understand God's plan and purpose for our lives? Could this be the reason why some of us don't feel peace and contentment in our walk with God? Well, I don't feel it, so it must be the church's fault, must be the pastor's fault, must be this person's fault, must be... Could it just be that we haven't experienced new birth ourselves? Could this be the reason why we don't understand what God wants to do in our lives? Could this be the reason why our commitment to Christ is mostly manifest on church on Sunday? Maybe you were dedicated to God as a child. Maybe you once said the sinner's prayer. Maybe you were baptized in water and joined the church. All that is fine and dandy. There's nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't mean you're born again. That doesn't mean you're born again. If you're born again, those things should take place. But those things don't make you born again. Born again means you had an experience with God. Where you were a sinner who repented of your sins, gave your life, surrendered your life to Jesus, and he saved you. And the Holy Spirit came to live within you. That don't matter if you're Baptist. That don't matter if you're Pentecostal. It doesn't matter if you're Methodist. That happens for every true Christian. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. When did you stop walking in darkness and begin living in the light? When did Jesus come into your life and make you a new person? Some of you are not yet born again. Some people who attend our church are not yet born again. And that's why the Christian life hears me feels mechanical. It feels like an obligation. The Christian life should never feel mechanical or like an obligation. If there is, there's something wrong. There's something. I'm not saying we don't go through seasons of difficulty, 
but it should never be an obligation. Some of you are like the Apostle Paul. Prior to his encounter with Jesus, church but not born again. Proud religious heart will not accept this truth. A proud religious heart will resist the truth. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now? You better listen. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart at this moment? See, this is why we can't see how God wants to use us maybe to reach lost people. Here's a great example. The Great Commission becomes the Great Omission. The Great Commission is a commission to us all. Not to some, not to the pastors, not to evangelists. No, every one of us. So why is the Great Commission the Great Omission? See, if you haven't experienced new birth, many parts of the Christian life will seem like an obligation rather than a wonderful opportunity. If you're born again, you have a wonderful testimony. Jesus saved you. Jesus set you free. He came into your life, made you a new person. Now you have this wonderful story that you can share with someone else who's going through the same things that you used to go through. Do you not have any compassion for them? Maybe it's because we're not born yet. We've been churched, but if we lack compassion for people, then you won't see the way Jesus sees people. If you're not born again, you will not see people the way Jesus sees people. How does he see people? Mark 6, 34 is a great example. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. And look at this, was moved. To, I mean, just hurt, hurt him in his gut. Just a gut check. Moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep having no shepherd. Or having a shepherd. They were going straight to hell. That's what he saw. He saw where they're heading to. They are sheep without a shepherd. They are in danger. So he began to teach them many things. New birth gives us a new heart. New birth opens our eyes so that we can see. Vision allows us then to see the kingdom of God. Let's say this. Let's say you're born again, but you have a problem seeing and understanding God's plan and purpose for your life. Now, just because you are born again, please hear me. If you are genuinely born again, I'm not going to question that. Let's say in your heart you're like, I'm born again. But I have difficulty seeing and understanding God's plan and purpose for my life. Listen, just when, just when you become born again, it doesn't mean it's automatically going to happen. If you're born again, you can see God's plan for your life, but you won't experience that plan unless you choose to follow God's plan and purpose for your life. This requires a humble, submitted heart. This requires faithful obedience. Not perfection, but it does require faith. It does require submission. It does require obedience. Those are elements of faith. New birth is the experience that gives us access to the plans and purposes of God. When we're born again, who comes to reside within us? The Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit helps us to then, or empowers us, to perform or to do the things that God's called us to do. Isn't it wonderful that God doesn't say, all right, you're born again, now just go out there on your own, try, try it. Try to figure it out. No, the Holy Spirit will reveal, and he will empower you. The Holy Spirit abides within us. If we're born again, he will empower us to fulfill God's plans and purposes. But we have to bring this. This is what we all have to bring, because it won't happen by accident. We have to bring the desire, and we have to bring the commitment to fulfill, fulfill God's plan and purpose for our lives, because it will not happen automatically. Once we can see what God is wanting to accomplish in us and through us, it is up to us to fulfill that plan by faith, to walk in it by faith. If God's called you to preach, for example, that won't happen by accident. Some people say, well, if, it's gonna if I'm called, it will just happen. It won't. God will put a vision in your life if you're born again. 
but you have to follow that plan out by faith. And I believe this is a major stumbling block in our church. Here it is. For many of us here, we want to be saved and go to heaven. But rather than giving ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, we want God to bless our plans. This is what I want to do. I want to get saved, and I don't want to go to hell, but I want to live my life. I want God to bless it. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. By the way, if you're a Christian and you're born again, you don't own yourself. It's no longer your plan. It's God's plan. You've been redeemed. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. You no longer belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. So we want God to bless our plans, and it will never work. You'll never have peace. You'll never have contentment. You'll never enjoy the Christian life as you should. So rather than discovering God's plan and following it with committed faith, we want God to bless our plans. It doesn't work that way. Church, let me assure you this. Let me reassure you of this. Please hear me. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God's plan and purposes aren't meant for your detriment. They are meant for your benefit, not only your benefit, but the benefit of others and the benefit of God. Listen to what Paul writes, and this is in Romans 8, 28. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. I love the Amplified Version. I love how it expands on the translation of the verses. It says this, and we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together, look, as a plan for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and purpose. You may be in a place where your life, where you can't see any redeemable qualities. In your current situation, you can say, I can't see how God can bring this out and work this out for my good. Or perhaps something happened in your past that affects you to this very day. And you can't imagine that experience or those circumstances have any redeemable qualities. Without God, they won't. Without God, they won't. But God has a way of turning our pain into something beautiful. God has a way of turning our tragedy into triumph. Vision gives us the ability to see beyond our current realities and gives us a glimpse into the future to see what God has planned for us to experience. If you lose that vision, it is difficult. When you go through life or the past comes back to you, it's hard for you to see any redeemable qualities without vision. That's why it's so important. Remember, the road towards fulfilling God's plan for your life will be challenging. If someone ever promised you the Christian life was easy, they lied to you. It was like this. They want a forced confession. We'll give you all the good stuff. We're not going to tell you about the bad stuff just so you'll get saved. It's not the way it is. And then I think sometimes the genuineness of their faith isn't really real. It's not, there's no genuineness. I'm telling you right now, if you choose to go God's plan and purpose for your life, it will be difficult. Well, why in the world would you want me to do that then? Jesus said this, narrow is the gate. Difficult is the path that leads towards eternal life, and few find it. There's something negative that's happened to your life. doesn't mean that God orchestrated it, by the way. That's just a lie. Some people will believe that. All the bad and the circumstances that happened in my life. God orchestrated all that so that something can happen good. No, that's not the way it happens. Something bad happened because you live in a fallen world with fallen people. But God can take those circumstances and then turn it around. It doesn't mean he orchestrated it. But God is a redeeming God, is he not? 
He is a redeeming God. And he could take whatever Satan meant for bad, for evil, and he could turn it around into something for good. John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. But what does Jesus promise? What is his plans? What are his purposes? I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus can take something Satan meant for evil, meant for bad, and he could, something that Satan meant for harm, maybe to, to defeat us or to discredit us or even to destroy us. And he can use it to fulfill his plans and his purposes. Church, we can't allow this world and what's been done to us or what we've experienced to define us. It, it sh we should not allow those things to define us. Yes, things can happen in our past, but they should not define who you are in Christ. Don't allow us the, sc the scars of your past to deter you from God's preferred future. But you must be determined. Determined. You have to push back against it. Man, your own flesh will lie to you. You've got to push back and reorient yourself through the Word of God. What does God say about me? Not does, what does the world say about me or this person say or what I think about me. What does God say about me? What are his plans and purposes for my life? If we fail to allow Jesus to redeem our pain, we will find it difficult seeing where God is leading and what he's trying to do and what he's trying to accomplish in our lives. Sometimes we lose sight of God's plan for our lives because we fail to trust God. Now, this is going to be one that some of you might find very difficult to admit. I think we fail to trust God more than we like to admit. Maybe we felt like God let us down. Or God has forgotten us in a situation. You ever felt like that? But he'll never leave you nor forsake you. I know it feels like that, and our flesh can feel it, but it's not the truth. Maybe we felt like God let us down or he forgot about us in a situation. Or maybe we thought we failed so much that God just abandoned us. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But God knows who you are, where you are, what you're going through. At all times, he understands that. He also knows where you can go if you'll trust him. He knows where you can go. He knows you're here, and you can't see how you can get over here, but God does. God knows the path. He knows the bridges. He knows the roads. He knows which way you can get there. You can't see it, but he does. God has an eternal perspective. We have a temporal perspective. Hear this, please. Trust the navigator. Trust the navigator. 1 Corinthians 2.9 But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has, what? Prepared. Prepared for those who love him. God has prepared something wonderful for your life. Every one of you, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Some of you may be seeing it and experiencing it, and some of you are like, what plan? What's so wonderful? Hear me, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. You may not see it, and you might, because of your current situation, but that doesn't defy the word of God. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. God has a redeeming plan, something that has promised you that he's not going to leave you nor forsake you. Plans of God, the purposes of God, are, hear me, please hear this, are irrevocable. The plans and purposes of God are irrevocable. Don't allow difficulty or defeat the opportunity to deceive you. Tragedy, trials, difficulty, they're not always good indicators. We live in a world that says this, and we have, we have some religious faith that believes this, that if you encounter problems or difficulty or trials or, or there's pushback or whatever, 
that it's not God. I'm telling you this, if that's the way you live your life, you're going you're gonna to find yourself in a place that is very lonely, very disturbed, because you're going to be like, what is going on in my life? God's left me. I know he has. You can't build a, a theology that says you will not encounter difficulty. That's why it's important to know God, know his plans, because challenges will lie. They'll lie to you. They'll tell you all kinds of things. They'll lie to your flesh. And yet you believe that you've gotten off course and God has forgotten you. Remember this. The callings, the gifts of God are irrevocable. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. God often reveals a dimly lit path. Often, though, he doesn't show the whole the whole path, does he? The whole journey. Man, I wish he did, but he doesn't. Because if he did, it wouldn't require faith. A dimly lit path. We must walk that path by faith. I know we all want to see the bigger picture before we take those steps of faith, but that's not the way God works. Whenever I think of the faith heroes in the Bible, there, there are people that were, were able to see God or understand what God was trying to do in their lives despite their impossible situations. There's plenty of faith heroes we read about. They, they get close to God. God reveals their plan, and they're in impossible situations. How on earth can I fulfill God's plan for my life in this impossible situation? Think about the patriarch Joseph. Is that not a wonderful, a great example? God reveals this plan, this dream. And as soon as he says yes to it, so to speak, man, all hell just breaks loose. He doesn't have an easy route fulfilling God's plan and purpose for his life. Why are we any different? Well, we're not. God gave Joseph a vision. Joseph trusted God despite suffering. I mean, he suffered for years. Joseph didn't allow his challenges to change his preferred future or God's preferred future. If Joseph had allowed the reality of being the... Imagine this, you are in Joseph's situation. You are enslaved, and then once you're enslaved, you are accused, falsely accused of sexual assault. And then you are thrown in prison, and you are thrown there feeling like you're forgotten, and you're just going to rot in that place. Where would your faith be? God's got this wonderful plan for my life, but I've been enslaved, I've been falsely accused, and now I'm rotting away in this prison, forgotten. How can God fulfill his plan and purpose through my life? But isn't it amazing? Just within a short time, that happens. God turns it all around. This guy is in prison he can be feel like he's forgotten my God, and all of a sudden he is thrown into leadership, second in command of Egypt. Really, a world power at that time, right? The second most powerful man in the world, from prison to that position. You can't listen. You cannot pay attention to the circumstances. Stick with the navigator and his plan for your life. His hardships would have been his detriment if he if he allowed them. His hardships would have become his deterrence. See, if he had to walk by sight, he would say this. Um, that's not God's plan, I guess. What do I do now? I mean, God gave me this wonderful plan, and it's not happening. I'm in prison. I'm rotten. I've been falsely accused of this. I've been enslaved. See, some of us are like that. We've lost sight of God's plan for our lives, and it's time we recommit ourselves to God. That's the important thing. Recommit ourselves to God, and then we can see what God is revealing. He will show you. Vision gives us the ability to see what God is wanting to accomplish in us and through us. Vision helps us to see past our challenges and tragedy so that we can pursue God's plans by faith. If you've lost sight of God's plan for your life, pray, 
Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a renewed perspective of God's preferred future. Don't ask God to give you a new plan. He already has a plan for you. you don't go to God and say, hey, God, uh, plan A uh, stinks. Can we have plan B? Because here's what he's going to do. Oh, plan A wasn't good enough? Plan A is what you're going to get. Because plan A is it. It is the plan. So you can ask, but don't get frustrated when it doesn't change. Because the plans and purposes of God are irrevocable. He created you with a specific plan and purpose. God created you to fulfill a redeeming plan. You don't Listen, we can come up with all the obstacles we want, but here are the facts. Think about Abraham. God chose Abraham in his age, his old age. None of us are too old to fulfill God's plans and purposes. Jacob was a liar, but God used him, a deceiver. Sometimes I think we allow our, our moral, moral failures to say, well, that, that discredits me from God's plan. No, it doesn't. Moses has a speech impediment. Gideon was fearful. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy, both too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job lost all that he had. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while Jesus prayed in anguish. Paul was religious and responsible for the martyrdom of Stephen, and God used all of them. Why can he not use you? Why are your circumstances, your difficulties, your trials, your tragedy greater than theirs? And the answer is this, they're not. The Bible is full of people who are not qualified by the world's standards. But despite of their imperfections, they pursued God's plans, and they were faithful obediently to him. So what's our excuse? Why can't we see what God is wanting to do in our lives? Why can't we... Why aren't we fulfilling God's plans and purposes for our lives that he's revealing to us? See, despite your imperfections, your scars, your moral blemishes, God has a plan for you. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen to the very language. It's not that we will walk in them that we should walk in them. The Amplified says it this way. I love this, this translation. For we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a, a work of art, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we should walk in them, living the good life which is pre he prearranged and made ready for us. God has a wonderful plan and purpose for your life. A wonderful plan and purpose for your life. It's not for your, it's not for your detriment, it's for your betterment. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a hope. It's the best, the best dream, the best, the best plan you could ever dream of. If you can imagine, man, this would be the life. If I could just live like this, God's plan is better. God's plan is better. Some of us may need to experience new birth and for, for us to get a glimpse of that. We can begin to see God's wonderful plan once we're born again. Again, I don't care how many times you were baptized. I don't care how many times you said the sinner's prayer. I don't care how many salvation cards you signed. I don't care what church you went to. I don't care what pastor said what. If you prayed and gave your life to Jesus, you repented of your sins, and you asked him to come into your life, 
then he came into your life. The Holy Spirit came into you. And listen, something changed. Something changed. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things passed away, behold, all things come new. Does that mean we're perfect? No. But it means this, the polarity of your heart flipped. So when did that happen for you? Unless you put yourself in right position for God, it will be difficult to see what God is wanting to do in you and through you. But if you'll commit yourself to Christ, remove all the excuses, God will renew his vision for you. He'll show you. See, what often stands in the way of God's vision is this. Me, myself, and I. Flesh. If you're born again, then the, the key is, if you're, if you're not born again, the key is to become born again, to give your life to Jesus. If you are born again, you're not seeing God's plan, you've got to get yourself out of the way. If you want to see God's plan, for, the reason why he created you, the reason why you are on this planet, the reason why you're breathing breath on this planet, if you really want to discover that plan and live it by faith, then you've got to get yourself out of the way. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.